spring football has begun at Ohio State. Colin Haas Hill and I were there at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center for the first practice on Monday, and we're going to break it all down for you on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. First, though, some big news coming out on Tuesday. Master Teague, who has been the presumptive favorite to start at running back this season, is unavailable for the rest of the spring due to an injury. Ohio State has not confirmed the nature of the injury, has not confirmed the severity of the injury or you know when they expect him back exactly, but uh, we were told by a source that his injury is an Achilles injury. Uh, don't want to speculate too much on the severity of that injury and the timetable, but if that's true, you would think that at least his availability for the start of the upcoming season could be in jeopardy, and we know that he's not going to be competing anymore this spring. So for a position that was already a major area of concern, Marcus Crowley, also unavailable due to injury, that leaves Ohio State with just one scholarship running back who practiced at that position on Monday, that being Steel Chambers. They had Demario McCall at slot receiver on Monday. He'll most likely move back to running back now that Teague is unavailable. But this was already a top two concern on the team going into this spring, and it just got a whole lot bigger now. Yeah, when we were at um, the open practice availability on Monday for the first practice of the spring, I think it was even pretty visceral just to us when we're looking around and sort of getting our first observations of what to expect from Ohio State this spring. And we we look at the running backs, and I think there might have been more walk-ons than actual scholarship running backs. Two and two, two and two. It was uh, Master Teague was first in the order, followed by Steel Chambers, and then Xavier Johnson, a walk-on and Robert Cope, uh, also a walk-on. But that's it. Only four running backs out there this spring. And now the guy who was the first guy through that order didn't even make it through one full practice, and now he's out for the rest of the spring. So a major area of concern right now for this Ohio State offense, replacing J.K. Dobbins was going to be difficult no matter what. But I, I think injuries aside most people probably would have projected the depth chart for the running backs this fall to probably be Master Teague number one and Marcus Crowley number two. And now it seems pretty likely, although it hasn't been confirmed on Crowley, but indications seem to be leaning this way, that we're not going to see either of them the rest of the spring. Yeah, and it's. I think the important thing for us right now is to just to think about, you know, what, what should we think about how this is going to actually affect the team? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if, if you're not ready for spring practice and you're ready to go in the fall and, and, you're, and, and Ohio State thinks that you're going to be an impact player and, and you're healthy and you don't have any concerns, like, I think you can, I think you can, you can overcome that as, as a position group, as a team. But I, I also think at running back, this is just this is just a wild situation for them to be in. Um, I think we knew after J.K. Dobbins' freshman season, probably that he was going to be a three and done guy and go to the NFL. I think we saw this opportunity for someone um, to to take over after J.K. Dobbins, whether it be one person or whether it be a whole cadre of running backs, two, three, four, who knows? And instead. 
going through spring practice with with one healthy scholarship running back is just wild. And I know that they've had just some unforeseen things come up, but. You know, even with that being said, I think maybe you look back and you think, like, what could they have done in the 2020 recruiting cycle where they ended up with Mayan Williams? You think back of, of when they uh, when Brian Snead got dismissed from, from the team, and, and you think back of, of all these guys, and, and all of a sudden, you know, like, they that all, all it is right now is it's Steel Chambers, and Demario McCall will probably have to move back there at least for the spring, and then you just have a little bit of uncertainty where, where Ryan Day said that they had spent Marcus Crowley back for the season, but who knows uh, for, for preseason camp in August what that means. Um, obviously, we, we, we don't know exactly right now what the timeline will be on Master, but this is a thing that, that they've had a chance to plan for the long term, and through both... I think sort of I, th- I think recruiting failures um, in certain areas, and then also just bad luck at, at a bad time. They're just in a they're they're in a they're in a deep hole right now. Yeah, I think the alarming thing is for the Buckeyes is there's just so many unknowns at that position right now. Master Teague is the one guy that's a semi-known commodity because we did see him play a good amount last year. He did compile a lot of yards coming in late in games, but this spring was still a really important time for Master Teague to to show Tony Alford, to show Ohio State's coaches that he was ready to be that starting running back. And now he's not going to have that opportunity. So even if he's full go in time for preseason camp, which right now we don't know. He might be. There's a chance he doesn't play all year. We, we don't know that right now. So that just adds to the uncertainty. But even if he is, I think if you're Ohio State, you really wanted to come out of this spring feeling like, okay, Master Teague's our guy. We see it. He's our guy. And then someone else, whether that be Steel Chambers or Marcus Crowley or Demario McCall, feel really good about, okay, he's you know that's another guy who's in our top two that we feel really good about. You know, playing every game, taking significant carries every game. And right now, you just don't know what you have. It's a it's an enormous opportunity for Steel Chambers because, you know, the, the door is just wide open for him now. If he can have a great spring, he could enter preseason camp as a starting running back. He, that door is now wide open for him because he is going to get a ton of reps this spring now because there's just not a lot of other guys to take them. It, it, it's... It's an interesting and, and unexpected chapter, really, in, in, in the Demario McCall saga, where we, we, we went into Monday thinking, okay, he's probably going to be at running back because they don't have much depth there. And then we watched practice, and he looked pretty good at slot receiver. And I'm thinking he, he, might, he might really be able to help him at slot receiver this year. And now, after one practice, he's most likely going to be back at running back because they just need to have more guys there. It, it is the perfect Nets chapter. I think this is chapter 827 in DeMario McCall's Ohio State career um, where, you know, just out of sheer happenstance, he just falls into another golden opportunity. Now, I think the, the, the important thing here is, you know, I think this might be his last real big opportunity. Because if you think like what 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 were Ohio State's plans? To, what do we think that we learned about Ohio State's plans at the slot um, at Monday's practice? And it just seemed, you know, and we'll talk about this later. 
I think that they had a lot of options there. Um, we saw Garrett Wilson there. I think Garrett Wilson really impressed both of us. We saw Jackson Smith and Jigba there. We saw Mookie Cooper there. Um, C.J. Saunders could be in the mix eventually. Jalen Gill was sitting out, but he'll be in the mix. There are a lot of guys there. And I think that there was a possibility that maybe Demario McCall, if if everything stayed the same, um, if, if, if his future did lie at slot receiver, I think maybe there's a chance that you know, he might have just gotten a little bit lost in the mix again. And I think this is this is a final golden opportunity for for DeMario McCall where it's, you know, he can he can look ahead right now and think this is what I can be in the fall. And I think what that is is a, a, a change of pace option in the backfield. I think that's a, a passing down running back. I think that's a potential third down running back. I think that I think that he can really see what he might be able to be um, in, in 2020. I think Ryan Day even hinted at it before the Master Teague injury came down, um, and that was you know last year. Maybe they would have, they they would have had a they would have had a, the ability to play him both in the backfield to spell J.K. Dobbins and and a little bit at slot to spell K.J. Hill, and they just really didn't need him because those two guys were really good. Um, and with with two questions there. You thought, well, maybe he could go back and forth, but right now, there's just a wide, wide opportunity at running back for him that I, I think both of us thought um, maybe he could take advantage of. But honestly, I think at this point in his career, it, it it's hard for I think both of us to really look at him and say, well, I got a lot of confidence that he's going to come through for them right now. Yeah, it's, I think those are all good points. It's it's interesting because. My feeling would be, if he's starting out at slot receiver in the spring, this is a guy who's been in a program for four years. He's probably there because they think that's the better spot for him at this point. But yet, like you said, Garrett Wilson looked fantastic at slot receiver on Monday. And again, just one practice. But you know, it seems like that might be their plan moving forward is to play Garrett Wilson in the slot. And then... The freshmen, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them as well, but Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mookie Cooper, those are both guys who look like they could be in the rotation in year one potentially. And then you mentioned C.J. Saunders. They're probably not going to find out until April whether he's going to get that six year of eligibility, but he could definitely end up in that rotation, as could Jalen Gill. Jalen Gill gets healthy if C.J. Saunders gets healthy and gets that extra year of eligibility. So I do think it's a good opportunity for DeMario in that regard because, like you said, I, I think the role that, that is most likely for him, that they probably most envision for him, is to be that situational third down back. I think if he was if he was ever going to be a you know every down back, a guy who was going to get 20 carries a game, I think that would have happened by now. But I, I, I do think you know he's a guy who's got some talent, and especially if you're now depleted at running back, there's an opportunity there. If he proves he deserves it, you've got to find a way to get him on the field. But he's got to seize that now. Like you said, this is, this is his opportunity. He's got to go seize it now, or because he's a fifth-year senior, it's going to be too late. Yeah, um, and we, we mentioned him earlier, but Steel Chambers, he's just, he's just a fascinating guy to me in this because, like, if we're all going to be honest, I feel like Steel Chambers is the guy that we all know the least about. Um, I think that's fans. I think that's um, reporters. I think that might even be the coaches um, because if you think back to how Steel Chambers got here, um, he was a 
he was listed as an athlete out of out of high school, which means oftentimes that some colleges are pitching different programs to him, what they what positions that they want to play to, what positions they want him to play in, in their program and and he ends up at Ohio State where, where he goes into the running back room. But the thing with that is he, he enrolled in June, and they had Marcus Crowley in the same class, and he enrolled in the spring. And Marcus Crowley is the guy that didn't redshirt. Seal Chambers redshirted. If I remember correctly, he only had 16 carries. He played in four games. He just didn't get a ton of, he didn't, he didn't get a ton of reps. He's never been through a spring practice before. And all of a sudden, like we, we talk about Ohio State finding out what they have. Steel Chambers can't hide. Ohio State will know exactly what it has in him by the end of the spring. Yeah, it was 19 carries for Steel Chambers last year, but same point. It's not great when your number one running back on the depth chart of spring is a redshirt freshman who has 19 career carries. That's and, and that's taking nothing away from Steel Chambers because I think he is a talented guy and I think he has significant potential but it's just such an unknown with this group right now and what you really wanted to see was to see Master Teague and Marcus Crowley and Steel Chambers all battle it out all spring and and really see with if the cream rises to the top with one of those guys and now you just don't get that opportunity Steele's got a huge opportunity but You'd love to be able to see those guys compete with each other. And now you go into it where with Teague and Crowley, e- even if, best case scenario, both of those guys are healthy for preseason camp, now the competition has to start in late July instead of in early March. And that just puts you behind the eight ball. So that running back position is going to be right up there with the secondary. Certainly on offense, the biggest question mark of this team going into the season and you know going into this summer and it, it does beg the question now is there somebody in the transfer portal that Ohio State can go get is is you know there's somebody out there that Ohio State can add to this room because especially if, if you get into a situation where Teague might not be ready for the start of a season and you know Ryan Day said he is expecting Marcus Crowley back for the start of a season, but you know my 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 inclination there, just based on the way that Ryan Day talked about him, Mickey Marotti talked about him, is Crowley's probably still got a way to go before he's going to be ready to get back on the field. So I think you've got to at least be looking at what's out there in the portal and see if there's somebody with some experience that you can bring in and maybe bolster your room this year. Because Ryan Day said it yesterday. And it turned out to be way more prescient than any of us realized at the time. That they're one injury away from a crisis at that position, and now they're there. Yeah, it, the the transfer thing is interesting because you've just sort of got to look for a very specific transfer. And and the other thing is that, like Ryan Day has said on multiple occasions, they're they're full on scholarships. Um, and the way he talks about it, it sounds like they don't expect a whole abundance of transfers after spring practice. Um, and uh, I think the, the other aspect of that is you got to find a guy who has graduated or you feel very confident can get a waiver and play immediately. Because this hole that Ohio State needs to fill is right now. Because going forward, hypothetically, you're going to bring back Master Teague, Steel Chambers, Marcus Crowley, and whoever else you get in the 2021 class for next year. Um, and right now, it seems like they have a lot of momentum in that recruiting class. Um, 
obviously they've had momentum in the 2020 recruiting class and didn't finish, so that matters. But um, you think that next year they're going to be fairly strong in that position. But if they can get a guy who can come in there and, and provide um, provide snaps and, and provide carries in meaningful games, in the first half of meaningful games, if, if they think they can find that, then it would be hard for me to say that they, that they shouldn't. I mean, it just feels like such a need, such an area that they need to address. But, like I say, it's just hard to find that, uh, I think, especially at running back, especially at this time in the process, because I think the options are, are going to be fairly limited. I do think the one thing that shouldn't be forgotten here that I, I, I don't know that you know people are really talking about in terms of prospective transfers yet, and that's partially because nothing's finalized yet and you never know exactly what the NCAA is going to do. But you know, there's the possibility that by this summer, guys are going to be able to transfer and be immediately eligible at other schools for next season. That possibility is still out there. So I think that adds a wrinkle to where if you get into the summer and you really feel like you've got to bring in somebody to, to complement that running back room for this season – that opportunity might open up. I, I don't think it's right now. You know, I think the name that you know people are asking about right now is Samson James, who's a former Ohio State commit who who flipped to Indiana. You know, was he be a guy now that he just entered the transfer portal? Uh, I believe yesterday is is he a guy or Monday? Would he be a guy that Ohio State would look at? Maybe I, I I wouldn't guess that that's someone that they're going to be rushing after, but you know, maybe he also he also might not be el- immediately eligible. He right, but but he could be. I'm saying he could be if if the rules change, mm-hmm. they all could be. They all could be. So so the doors are still open there. I, I I think the reality is if if that was going to happen, it's probably not going to be until of. The summer. It's not going to be until after the semester's over. It could be somebody who's competing for a starting job right now somewhere else and then loses that job and then wants to go transfer somewhere else for more playing time, which, if you're Ohio State, getting a running back who lost a starting job somewhere else might not necessarily be the ideal situation. But the reality is, because of what you said earlier, J.K. Dobbins left early. Brian Sneed got dismissed from the program. Tony Offord realistically whiffed on all of his top targets in the recruiting class of 2020. So Ohio State has just had a compounding of events here that weakened the overall state of their running back room and put them in a position. I mean, really, anytime you have your potential top two running backs injured or potential two players at any position injured, you're probably going to be in some trouble. But there's just so much that's compounded here now to put Ohio State into a dicey spot and, and is going to make this a position that we're probably going to have major concerns about, you know, all the way up until the start of a season and, and maybe even after the season begins. Now, if we want to um, talk about how Ohio State can, can make up for some of this, and I just, I just every time that, that we talk about running back concerns, I just have to think about it, and it's, you know, Justin Fields is going to be the quarterback. They're running behind an offensive line that is Thayer Munford, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and potentially Harry Miller, Nick Petit, Freyer, Paris Johnson, uh, Matthew Jones, some two of those guys. And, you know, ultimately, ultimately because of that, 
you know, there's, there's region to believe that, that you think that they're going to be okay that way. Um, Justin Fields, the fact that he's the quarterback, just opens up so much for what they can do as an entire offense. I think there's, a, there's very uh, reasonable excitement coming from, from a lot of these wide receivers and what they can do um, just this year, even though a lot of them are underclassmen. I just think that, I, I think that one, maybe this puts a little bit more pressure on, on him as a runner, um, but also... If you're putting pressure on Justin Fields to, to make plays, there are worse places to put pressure. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and I I mean I think that's the reality. We had talked about it earlier in you know the off season about I think we I think we were asked by one listener about you know would this become you know more of a uh, pass heavy offense, and I said I thought it would be a more quarterback heavy offense. And that's still the case. I think if if the running back position is down, and right now it definitely looks like it could be down, then I think Justin Fields is going to run the ball more than he did last year. And you know maybe that's not an ideal situation because obviously we saw him get hurt last year, and, and the more your quarterback runs, the more he's going to be at risk of injury. But I, I also think that you know that his ability to run – does add a significant dimension to Ohio State's offense, does help make up for the weakness they might have at running back. And so I think that's absolutely something that they're going to use heavily this year, especially in big games, especially in games where they really need a spark. And it certainly helps having the offensive linemen that they do. It helps having the tight ends that they do. It helps having a really talented group of wide wide receivers and if we want to segue into that that was my biggest takeaway from the first spring practice was how good some of these young receivers look and especially the four freshmen you can see why certainly jackson smith and jigba i thought was the biggest revelation of the first spring practice and you guys know I've been bullish on Jackson Smith and Jigba ever since he signed up Ohio State, so I already had high expectations for him, but he looked as good as I could have imagined in his first practice. Seems like he was beating his man. Just about every rep made some acrobatic catches, was was making plays on deep balls. He looked good, but so did Julian Fleming, and so did G. Scott, and so did Mookie Cooper. As I mentioned before, Garrett Wilson looked really good in the slot. Jameson Williams, you could see his speed on display. At one time, I remember him getting wide open for a, a deep touchdown catch. And then, of course, Chris Olave's back. He, he didn't practice much on Monday, but they already know if they've gotten Chris Olave. He's could be one of the best wide receivers in the country. So you just look at all that young talent they have in that room, a lot of which is new, and their running game might take a step back without J.K. Dobbins, but their passing game has a ton of potential. Yes, it does. I, I think um, I think it was funny because when we were watching practice, we were um, I think we were we were talking at one point, and we just realized we, we were like, "All right, I think Garrett Wilson has looked awesome. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba has looked great." Like I, I know we mentioned Mookie Cooper, and it was like, "Are they just doing drills that really?" showcase the slot wide receivers or is there something to this and then 
thankfully Ryan Day confirmed what I was seeing and, and that, uh, it, you know, sometimes confirmation bias uh, works, sometimes it doesn't. This time it did because Ryan Day said that, that the slots were standing out to him too. I think slot wide receiver is one of the most fascinating positions on this team. Um, I th- And I think that because before Monday's practice, I just wasn't sure what Ohio State was going to do there. I wasn't sure how they're going to operate there. I know we both had conversations about, you know, what if Jeremy Ruckert was playing um, a little bit more in the slot? What I, is CJ Saunders going to be a potential starter there? Jalen Gill really has to step up. And Jalen Gill and CJ Saunders weren't out there. Jeremy Ruckert wasn't in the slot. Instead, what we saw was Garrett Wilson just making play after play after play. I think to me, he was personally the most impressive player um, out on the field. And like you said, I think Jackson Smith and Jigbo, and Jigbo was probably the freshman wide receiver who stood out the most, but Mookie Cooper was really good as well. And you had mentioned earlier um, that, that DeMario also had a good day. I just think all of a sudden, like, it, it's funny. We always say we don't want to take a ton out of this, the first spring practice. We just watch them for two hours. But you also watch them, and, and, and how can you not look at that talent and say, wow, like, I might have just I might have misjudged that just a little bit. I think they might have something going there. Yeah, it's funny how perceptions can change so quickly because you know you go in thinking, man, who's going to replace KJ at slot receiver, and then you leave and you think, man, they might have too many guys at slot receiver. Who you know who's going to get left out of this thing and and not get on the field with all this talent that they have. So you know, I I think. You know, neither of us were, would have predicted that Garrett Wilson would be the guy to move nope. into slot receiver. I think we thought, you know, he he's an outside guy, and and I think Garrett Wilson. I, I think my perception of Garrett Wilson has changed, not just Monday, but just over the past year in Same. realizing the kind of player he is. But watching him in high school, his high school film, his you know his ability to make those contested catches really stood out and and they did last year too and I think because of that you kind of looked at him as you know that outside guy that x receiver type that guy those one-on-one matchups along the sideline but then you see him return a punt for 40 yards and you see some of the shifty plays he's he's making in space to to extend short passes into bigger gains and suddenly you you realize his skill set it is maybe even more complete than we thought it was when he came in. And he came in as a five-star recruit. So this is just a guy that can do a lot of different things. I already thought, no matter where he lines up, this is a guy who has the potential to take that next step and be a superstar for Ohio State this year. And I think, you know, by moving him to the slot, you have the potential to, to really create some mismatches at that position. And then at the same time, it opens the door outside for guys like Julian Fleming and G. Scott to, you know, potentially break their way into that rotation. And, you know, we saw Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner get the first team reps at those outside receiver spots on Monday. You know, they're getting those opportunities first because they're the veterans in the room, both fourth-year guys. But but they've got to win those jobs. Julian Fleming and G. Scott... They're coming, J- Jamison Williams. He's coming. So, you know, v- v- you know, there's going to be a lot of competition there, and, and I think even too, it, it, Garrett Williams, Garrett Wilson really solidifies himself in the slot. Then you look at a guy like a Jackson Smith and Jigba. If he keeps doing as well as he's doing, maybe he moves back outside. If all of a sudden the slot becomes 
more of a strength in one of the outside spots. So they've got a lot of options there. We already we already knew that they had a, a lot of options there, and I think Monday was just kind of a confirmation of it. Of there's of course a long way to go. It's just one practice, but the potential of that group, the ceiling of that group, is extremely high. Yeah, um, going back to Garrett Wilson, I, I, when you said that the, your perception of him has, has changed just a little bit about what he can become, I I, I sort of agree. And there was there was a couple moments um, when he was in the slot that you know. This might be a dumb thing to say because I'm not a wide receivers coach. I can't say that I'm. Um, I, I study wide receivers every single day, but the way that the way that he moves his body um, in the slot is to me a little bit reminiscent of, of how he moves his body when he's in the air um, to catch a pass because he just it just seems like he has a plan and he knows exactly how the other guy is going to move and he knows how to. Um, work off of that if that makes sense because when you're in the slot you can go two ways the sideline isn't to your right or to your left you can go two ways and, and you can fake both ways and the the nickelback whoever's covering you they have to bite they have they have to respect it um and he's someone who's who's just really smart in his movements i think that that's one thing that that is really going to help him if, if he sticks in that position that was one of those minor things that stands out and before we move on from the wide receivers i'll just mention one more thing like I know you had your eyes on. You were watching the wide receivers for the majority of the practice. I, 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 I just caught like a couple moments where I was like, "Wow, that guy looks like a, a fourth-year senior." And it was G. Scott because he he is just built. I think that I think one of the, one of the interesting things for us is you know we we see a lot of these freshmen for the very first time in pads, and it's like who passes the eye test. G. Scott passed the eye test to me. That guy, when when Mickey Marotti said that he was built like Austin Mack, what he really meant is he's built like senior Austin Mack. Like he's built like a he's built like a guy who's already been in a weight program. Yeah, that's what's striking about some of these guys, and, and we don't want to gush and gush too much after one practice of watching these guys. But you see a guy like G. Scott, you see you know his physique, you know Julian Fleming as well. You you see these guys. They just don't look like guys that should be high school seniors right now. They 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 look like you know grown men already, and and they've only been with Mickey Marotti for two months now. So just imagine what they can become after they've actually been in the program for a year or two. They're 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 coming in starting out already with so much potential that you just think about over the next three to four to five years, what these guys have the potential to become. And it's really exciting if you're an Ohio State fan because, you know, these these guys, I think any of the four of those freshman receivers could contribute this year. And you usually think you get a class of guys that big, there's going to be at least one or two that just doesn't work out or that just doesn't see playing time because – you know, there's only so many spots to go around, but man, I think all four of these guys are, are really going to make a run at it because you know they they just all seem to really have some very very promising traits that made them top 100 recruits. If we're talking about, I was wondering if I was going to do this transition because listen, both on well, you knew on you knew lines. I was going to set it up for you because. We're talking about top recruits. We're talking about guys who pass the eye test. We already talked about Jackson Smith and Jigba, who you guys know uh, that you know I've been bullish on. So we've got to talk about the guy 
that Colin is bullshit on. And that's Paris Johnson Jr. And we got to talk about Paris Johnson Jr. Because Paris Johnson Jr. got some first-team reps at right tackle on Monday. And that's a really big development because... Ohio State doesn't have a firm starter at right tackle right now. We we think it's going to be Nicholas Petit-Frere. He got most of the first-team reps on Monday, and he's certainly the front-runner to start at that position. But the fact that they're already giving Paris Johnson first-team reps on his first day of practice at that position would tell me that there is a real possibility that he could win that job and start in year one. Yeah, I mean, if you look around, um, if you look around of what Ohio State has done this year um, in spring practice, what they've done in past years, it's so rare that on day one of spring you you ever really see a, a freshman getting getting first team reps like that. And all honesty, that just really doesn't happen. Um, and no, he wasn't the guy who was out there the, for for when they went full team with the first team. That was Nicholas Petit Frere, even though I can't really keep them. Um, I, I always forget which is which because now they're 78 and 77, and they both are physically built like college offensive tackles. Um, but uh, I think the fact that he's he's switching in already, like if people thought that that, that, that we were talking about or, or Ohio State was talking about Paris Johnson potentially starting as a freshman just to just to talk about it just because that's what I think um, a lot of freshmen do like that that really is not the case and I think maybe even more so telling than than him taking those um, first team reps was you know Dewan Jones I think was was thought by both of us to be in the mix too and he will be in the mix um, and the same but 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 he also was playing backup left tackle um, for for the entirety of Monday's practice, um, and and I'm interested to see if that's something that'll continue, or if he'll um, switch in and, and get a good amount of, of of first team reps as well. But I think the fact that it was Nicholas Petit Frere and, and Paris Johnson splitting the first team reps, I think that really tells you something, and I think that tells you something more so about where Paris Johnson is than than anything else. Yeah, the reality is most true freshman offensive linemen are nowhere near ready to start in year one. And in only unique circumstances is Ohio State going to consider starting a true freshman on the offensive line. But this could be one of those unique circumstances because that's the kind of talent Paris Johnson is. He's a guy, again, he's he he's already built like a college offensive lineman. He's already... 300 pounds or close to it and he has so much potential i mean he's a guy who's openly talked to you colin about he he wants to start as a freshman and he wants to play in the nfl he's not a guy who's going to be at ohio state playing as a fifth year senior this is a guy who's probably going to be at ohio state for three years i mean he's probably going to be moving on to the nfl so this is the type of guy that you want to be on the fast track to playing time and if and if i'm still predicting right now I would predict that Nicholas Petit Frere will start at right tackle and that Paris Johnson will start at one one of the tackle spots in 2021. But they're clearly leaving the door open here for Paris Johnson to win that job. And and I think that might say something about Petit Frere too, that he's going into his third year and he's not he hasn't locked down a job yet. When you contrast that with the left guard spot where 
Harry Miller and Matthew Jones were splitting reps on Monday, but you could just tell from Ryan Day's post-practice comments that they want Harry Miller to win that job. That job is Harry Miller's to lose. They, Their belief is that Harry Miller is going to be the starter. Matthew Jones could still win that job away from him, but he's going to have to really beat Harry Miller out if he's going to win that job. And I think their belief is that's probably not going to happen because they're so confident in what they've already seen from Harry Miller that they think he's a guy who can step in this year as a true sophomore and start him at offensive line. Yeah, I think you put it right. I think it's Nicholas. I think right tackle is Nicholas Petit Frere's job to win. I think left guard is Harry Miller's to lose. Um, and honestly, that sort of lines up with with what we were imagining going into the going into the spring. Uh, Harry Miller is Harry Miller is such an interesting guy because I mean that guy is just a remarkably smart human being. Who you know when, when we talk about Paris Johnson going going three and none, Paris Johnson is also a four student. I think it, I think it is interesting. I think that they and and I remember uh, Nicholas Petit Frere. He's also um, he's also an accomplished uh, in, in his academics. I, I do think they've got some smart, they've got some talented guys coming up, and they've got some. They got some guys who I think really, I think all three of these guys, um, and four, I think Matthew Jones could be this too. Like I think they can all be potential high round NFL picks, and that to me is uh, almost more so than who wins the jobs. Like the fact that they that they got to this point with the offensive line, when I think that they had depth concerns at this point a year ago, I think. Um, I think if you even go far back, you go go a couple years back, you think like. What is Greg Sadrawa's future at Ohio State? He's missed on a couple of recruiting cycles. And right now, you can make a case that the offensive line group as a whole, from top to bottom, is the strongest position group on the team. Yeah, I think the real point to take away here on the offensive line is that they're in a really good spot with this group. I mean, you've got three excellent returning starters in Thayer Munford, Josh Myers, and Wyatt Davis. And they've got a lot of talent with a lot of potential. I mean, there's guys that Colin didn't even name that are guys who could be future starters, future NFL players in that group. They, they've just done a really good job, and you got to give a, a big tip of the hat to Greg Stadrawa for how he's turned around offensive line recruiting and, and built that unit back up. So you know, they're in a great spot. This is you know Sometimes when you go into the spring and you've got multiple open starting spots on the offensive line, which you have pretty much every year, but... Sometimes that's a big area of concern. I mean, I, th- I think even back to last year, if you look at that left guard spot, we knew Jonah Jackson was going to come in, coming in, but he wasn't there for spring, and and so I think it was a bigger concern even last year. Where I think this year, the guys are there. You've got multiple guys at both of those spots that you feel pretty good about. If they're a starter, Ohio State should be just fine. And then you know, even if the other spots as well, whether it's Dewan Jones or or Luke Whipler or Enoch Vamahi, some of the other guys who who they have in that offensive line room. There's guys that if there's injuries up front, they're gonna have some depth options that leave them feeling still pretty good about what they have. So I think they're in a great spot there. And and certainly, you know, when you when you think about important positions on the team, that's one that if if you've got a good foundation on that offensive line, you know that's just gonna that's just gonna really increase the floor of your team so much. Yeah, and if I think about like if I if I'm thinking about the position groups on this team, like I think there are some with really high high ceilings. Like I think I think the defensive line is a pretty high ceiling. 
I also think it's got a uh, got maybe a lower floor than some people realize. I think that just floor and ceiling wise, I think this is right there with quarterback. Like I think these are basically positions that you're going to throw onto the field and you're going to say this if it's not the best in the country, it's going to be the, one of the best two or three in the country. And it's remarkable to say that in March and and maybe you shouldn't say that in March, but how could you not say that when, when, when you're bringing back Wyatt Davis, who I think we both think is going to be an All-American candidate again. Josh Myers could be an All-American candidate. I think Thayer Munford could be a first-team All-Big Tenor if he stays healthy. Um, and I think Harry Miller, Nick Petit, Frere, Paris Johnson all have All-Big Ten or better potential. We just talked about a position with a, a high floor. Now let's segue to the position where I think they've got one of the lowest floors right now, and, yes. and that's, the, that's the secondary, which... Even with for, even with the injury to Master Teague, to me the secondary is still the biggest concern of this entire team, and we didn't get a lot of clarity on Monday because no, we might not have some for a little bit too. Because Sean Wade, Cam Brown, and Josh Proctor, all of whom could be starters in the secondary this year, were either completely out or limited by injuries. So the starting secondary for Monday's initial practice was Seven Banks and Tyreek Johnson at outside corner, Marcus Williamson at slot corner, and Marcus Hooker at, at safety. And that's four guys who could be starters this year, or, or they could not. I think the the guy, the one guy out there that I, I I'd feel pretty good about that I, that I think he's either going to be a starter or he's going to rotate in heavily, and I think he's ready to play is Seven Banks, and he looked really good in that first practice. Two interceptions against Justin Fields. You know, really, really just looked consistent in coverage throughout the practice. You know, he's a guy who's he's a guy who's been on a trajectory over the last couple years toward becoming a starter this year. So I think he's a guy that you feel pretty good about. But then you look at the rest of that secondary. You know, this is a we talk about guys of golden opportunities, like we talked about with Demario McCall earlier, Tyreek Johnson, Marcus Williamson. These are these guys' opportunities. Tyreek Johnson's a guy who came in. Five-star recruit, hasn't seen the field basically at all in his first two years. Now he's got that opportunity to compete for a starting job right in front of him right now. Marcus Williamson, a guy who's a senior now, really hasn't played much in his career, but now he's got that opportunity. He could be that starting slot corner. We're not really sure who else could factor in there right now. So that's a big opportunity for him. Marcus Hooker, he's... Just like his brother Malik going into his third year has a chance to maybe emerge as a starter on this defense. I think a lot of us have thought that Josh Proctor, you know, would be that deep safety, but who knows? He's not out there right now. Maybe he could factor in at that slot corner spot. We saw Bryson Shaw and Ronnie Hickman working as the backup slot corners yesterday, and they're guys who had been safeties before. So yeah, I think they're going to move guys around. They're going to experiment with some different things. But, man, there's a lot of question marks in that group. Yeah, it was one of those things where you look out there and you're like, wait a second, am I missing something? And then you look over the injured players and you're like, oh, okay. Now, I, now I'm remembering why this lineup is out here. Um, it's, it's interesting because I think there's a lot to figure out right there. Um, and you know what you have in, in Sean Wade. Uh, not, neither he nor Cam Brown nor Josh Proctor, I don't think any of those guys are going to miss significant time. Um, but the fact that they're out at all means that you know they're, they're missing time where Kerry Combs can figure out how in the world he's going to replace Jeff Okuda 
Jordan Fuller and Damon Arnett, and I think you're, you've just got to get creative. If 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 I like I said earlier about the defensive line, this is one of those units that like individually, I really like a few of these guys. But the real issue is that we've we've never seen um, we've only seen one of these guys start before, and Sean Wade, and and he's going to be in a new position. I think both of us uh, have a lot of confidence in him, and he deserves it. But beyond them. Um, Cam Brown, seven banks at corner, I really like their, their potential, but neither of them have started before. Um, you think about Josh Proctor, what he can be. I mean, if I hear one more person comparing him to Lee Cooker, um, <laughs> that, that, that would be the 37th. And, but at the same time, the, the last time he was on the field, and, and you know we, we're just going to have to keep on mentioning this, is, is, was when Trevor Lawrence ran through um, his tackle. Um, and... And and you think, all right, is is he ready to be that guy in the in the in the back like like Jordan Fuller was last year? And these are all just questions that I'm not sure that that we have the answer to. I don't think Kerry Combs is the answer to right now, and that's why they they just need everybody healthy right now. It is it is it is eerily weird how the running back and and, and the secondary the two positions that have been hit by injuries because those are the positions that they they just need guys healthy right now. Is they just need to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it doesn't really matter if Sean Wade misses some time in the spring. They they know if they have in him, even moving him at outside cornerback spot. Ryan Day said it yesterday. He thinks Sean Wade is the best returning cornerback in the country. So they're not concerned about him. They're, they're extremely confident in, in him to be the leader of that secondary. But everybody else, you need those guys out there. And you know certainly you're, you're not blaming anybody for injuries. They happen. But you know guys like Cam Brown and Josh Proctor, those are guys that – you know, you'd really like to have on the field as much as possible, and you know, we, we don't know exactly what their injuries are, so you know, they could be back very soon, and I'm sure that's what Ohio State is hoping for. But you know, they really, really, everyone in that secondary, not named Sean Wade, needs as many reps as they can get this spring, so that Kerry Combs and Matt Barnes and this entire Ohio State coaching staff can really evaluate what they have back there. Because you know they've got a long way to go. I, I I think if Ohio State had to play a football game right now, that secondary would be in some trouble. The good news is they don't have to play a, another game for six months. But it, there's a lot that has to happen and a lot of evaluation that's going to take place over the next six weeks. That's going to determine you know what that starting secondary might look like. On Monday, we we watched them for a little bit. Was there were, were there any takeaways of, of guys who flashed guys? Um you know, any takeaways at all? And, and again, we watched two hours on the first day of practice. Things change, but anything catch your eye? Yeah, if you're just talking defensive backs, yes. Seven Banks Seven Banks is a guy I mentioned before. That was the only one, really. Um, you know, watching some of the other guys, I thought, you know, I thought Tyreek Johnson had his moments, which I think is a good thing because if I'm being completely honest, when we've watched practices for the past two years, Tyreek Johnson has been a guy that stood out in the wrong way. So I, I thought he had some flashes, which is a good sign because he is a guy that's got a lot of talent. But nothing that after two hours of practice I'd say, wow, this guy's the next Ohio State's next great corner. It, it, there's a long way to go for him and a long way to go for all these guys. You know, Watching a guy like Marcus Williamson, I thought you know he had some ups and downs. You know, Same with a guy like Marcus Hooker, again can't really read too much into two hours of practice but you know to me Banks was the guy that stood out as the guy is this is the guy who looks like he's ready to be a starter at Ohio State right now the rest of them 
I'm not sure about yet. Moving to linebacker, um, I thought it was interesting. Pete Warner was spent the last two years starting at the strong side linebacker position, and last year he had a bit of a breakout. Um, basically killed the bullet, became the bullet, whatever you want to believe there. And I think both of us initially predicted that you know he would shift, he would stay right there, and he'd be the he'd be the Sam again. And then we go to practice on Monday, and it's just one of those things. Well, oh shoot! Well, I guess he's at he's playing weak side linebacker right now. And Ryan Day got asked about it afterwards, and you know he said they're moving him around right now, seeing seeing what he does best, where he fits best. Um, and I think that's interesting because I think both of us probably agree on this that you know I think he's probably going to be their best linebacker. I think he's probably going to be the guy who plays the most. Yes, I, I, I think Pete Warner is going to be the linebacker who plays the most this year. I think as long as he stays healthy, I would be surprised if, if he doesn't. I think he's the guy that you know they have the most confident in, confidence in to play on all three downs. Obviously, Tough Borland's going to be a big part of that group, but you know he's a guy who's he's a guy who's just because of some of his athletic limitations, he's a guy who even this upcoming year is a guy that when they're in obvious pass situations, he's not going to be on the field. Pete Warner is going to be on the field. The question is, where exactly is he going to be able... Where exactly is he going to line up? Because if he lines up at that will spot, replacing Malik Harrison, which I think could make some sense, now does the bullet actually really become a thing in 2020? Because we saw on Monday Justin Hilliard starting at that Sam linebacker spot, which I think could be a possibility. He's a guy who we saw play some significant snaps in some four linebacker packages last year, and he's a guy going into his last year certainly you know, would like to play a bigger role, but I don't think he's a guy at this juncture of his career who's got that athleticism to be able to drop back and play safety the way Pete Werner could last year. So I, I think that opens the door, you know, even if it's a Kayvon Pope or, or somebody else at Sam Linebacker, I think that opens the door now to, you know, maybe there being more of a real bullet position or at least more two safety looks, more true nickel looks if Pete Werner's a guy who's now playing that Malik Harrison role and, and playing more of an inside linebacker role. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fascinating because there are probably I think there are in-depth scenarios that we can go into on both sides of it. Like what would happen if he stayed at the strong side linebacker? What would happen if he moved to weak side linebacker? And who knows? He might end up playing both of those during games. But like if we want to play that game, if he if he moved to weak side linebacker, um, which you know it seems like they're giving him a look at, then there are probably like five different questions out of that. Number one being, all right. Is, is Justin Hillier going to be your Sam? Is, is Like you said, is it going to be Kayvon Pope? And the other interesting thing of that is, you know, we had, we had mentioned this before, like what if what if Josh Proctor ends up being the bullet? What if he ends up being the, the strong side linebacker there where that's really a way where you can get a second safety on the field, someone who we've definitely seen has been really physical um, at times, and it gets him up closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, I think that I think that, that, could, be, that could be a really interesting um, option for him. Um, 
the other question I'd have if that happened is, you know, what what's up with Baron Browning? What does he do then? And he's someone who didn't practice on Monday when we saw he was walking, he was jogging around the field, walking around the field, was was obviously injured and 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 going through that. And you know, if 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 Pete Warner is going to take over a weak side linebacker, does that mean that Baron Browning is once again as a senior just going to be rotating with Tough Borland? Um, or maybe does that mean he does that and also plays some defensive end edge rusher, which is you know my favorite thing with with him. I I honestly don't know, and I think that's what's interesting um, because if Pete Warner stayed at Sam, if he stayed at strong side, then you'd think well maybe he could play um, he could play at will and maybe he could switch he could rotate with someone like Taraja as Dallas Gant rotated at at Mike with with Tough Borland and you just run through all these scenarios. I just think they got a ton of options at linebacker, and I know we've talked about that, but I think it became even more clear considering they're willing to move Pete Warner around. Yeah, and I think you could see, you know, you could see where maybe Pete Warner plays Will on early downs, but then moves to Sam in situations where they're looking for, you know, more of a passing situation, and maybe that's where a Baron Browning comes in. You know, Baron Browning's a guy. I could see them maybe even using him more in edge rushing situations this year than they did last year because we saw. I think when he was really at his I'm best, speaking my language, year, Dan. Yeah, when when he when he's blitzing, when he's you know really attacking downhill toward the backfield, I think that's really when he's at his best. So, like you said, they've got a lot of options. I mean, you, you've got a trio of junior linebackers and. Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, and Kayvon Pope really haven't played much, and and I think are all really talented guys who should be ready to play. So I, I think you know you even got I mean you even got guys like Craig Young, who's who's a really athletic young guy that you know maybe he could be a Sam you know bullet type player. He he's got some of that athleticism. So they've got a lot of different options, and and that's what this time of year is for is to experiment a little bit to work through different options. I look at the linebackers. I don't. I don't have the same level of concern as I would with the secondary because I think there are so many upperclassmen. There's so many guys who should be ready to play that I. I think they're going to be able to come up with a plan that works. There just might be some experimentation needed over the next six weeks to kind of figure out what the best roles are for each guy. Yeah, we've touched on this in recent weeks, but when you see that second team defense go out there like we did the uh, the other day on Monday, and it's Taraja Mitchell, Kayvon Pope, and Dallas Gant, it's like shoot, for almost every other team in the Big Ten, that's the starting linebacker yep. unit that you feel really, really good in. And that's the interesting thing about linebacker. I'm not sure there's a stud there. I don't know if there's a star, but but even with Baron Browning, they can go two units deep at at every single position. And that's that is just rare. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I, I I don't know that there's going to be a superstar linebacker on this team. I don't know if there's going to be anybody who's individually as good as Malik Harrison was last year. But I think there's enough guys there that I, I think if they all, you know, collectively play together well and they can, you know, you get guys, those guys can, can start to contribute and play up to their potential, I think they have the potential to be a really good linebacker core. Speaking of linebackers, um, Cade Stover has moved two positions now since he once played linebacker. We we thought I, I wrote a I wrote a story at the bowl game um, that that he was going to move to defensive end, and now Monday rolls around and he's a tight end. Cormonte Hamilton, um, who was the tie who was a tight end, now moved to the defensive line, and essentially they just did a one for one swap. 
Yeah, it's funny. You talked to Cade Stover at the Fiesta Bowl about playing defensive end, and I talked to Cormonte Hamilton at the Fiesta Bowl about playing tight end, and now they are both playing different positions. And you, know, you mentioned with Cade Stover, you know, I think the initial move, a lot of that was, you know, at least in part, related to what we were just talking about with the linebackers. If they've got so many guys there that you know there just wasn't really a path to the field for him right now, and he got bigger, and and so they they tried defensive end out to see how that would work. But you know, then again, you look at defensive end, and you've got Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday and Javante Jean Baptiste and Noah Potter, and then you you just brought in Jacoby Cowan and Darian Henry Young, and you've got all these guys, and all of a sudden you go, well, you know, there might not be a great opening for them for him here either so you move Cade Stover to, to tight end which it, it's an interesting move it's it's not a move that I would have guessed we would be at a year ago because I remember talking to him at his high school before he came to Ohio State and he talked about how much he loves being a hitter and you know I just thought he was a, a defensive guy for sure but you look at that tight end spot I don't think he'll play much in 2020 but Luke Farrell is a senior Jake Hausman is a senior Jeremy Ruckert's also an upperclassman at this point. So I think if he can develop at that spot this year, he's definitely going to have an opportunity there in, in 2021 where where he could become a significant player at that position. And you look at his size, 6'4", 255, a guy who, who used to play basketball, uh, a really good athlete for his size. The tools are there. The potential's there. That, you know, If he develops, he, he's going to have a long way to go because – Monday was his first time ever going through a collegiate practice at that position, but you know you can see the physical potential there of it. With a couple of years of development, that's a spot where where he could definitely make an impact for Ohio State. Yeah, it's worth noting. So when I talked to him at the Fiesta Bowl, what what became sort of readily apparent to me is that, and and I wrote about this is he was in the really early stages of becoming an offensive end, and he and he was really upfront about you know. Things were not exactly easy when he started. He had no idea what was going on, um, and, and he thought he was progressing um, pretty well. But at the same time, both he knew this, and it, it was it was pretty obvious when when he was talking that you know he had a long way to go at the position. So I think uh, we got a question about this. Daniel asks, "What's your opinion on Kate Stover moving to tight end?" Um, I think it's an interesting move. The one thing I would say is I think there are some people who are worried about him just moving from position to position to position. I think right now that's okay. I mean, if we think about it, last year he didn't go through spring practices. These are his first spring practices ever. Um, I think that at this point, by the end of spring practice, I think it'll be important for him to have a position locked down to to, to know what he's going to be um, for the rest of his collegiate career. I think right now it's fine. I think I think Ohio State just really wanted to figure out well, where's this guy going to end up. Where where does his body fit? Where 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 do we have a need that fits? And tight end, like you said, he has the physical traits now. Um, to, to play tight end and and it and it does make sense even though I think there are a lot of people who envisioned him as you know the next James Laurinaitis the next the the next guy who's going to come into the program he's going to be an in-state kid his background is a farmer hard worker and he's going to come and have 100 tackles in 2021 and and that isn't going to happen instead he's going to have 175 blocks yeah, I was going to say, I hope you were not about to say 175 catches there. No. <laughs> if he has an Ohio State tight end, he's about to be sorely disappointed if that's what he wants. But I, I think the reality is, for, for people to remember, is 
you know, we talked earlier about Paris Johnson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and some of these freshmen who come in and just look like they're ready to play right away. But the reality is that's not the case for a lot of freshmen. And some guys come in and you might have one opinion of a player when you are recruiting them. And then you get to work with them for a season. And, and you might start to think, you know, maybe there's another way in which this guy could help us out that we haven't looked at yet. I mean, we, you know, we even talked about it before with, you know, a guy like Garrett Wilson playing slot receiver. I don't think a year ago people would have thought Garrett Wilson would be playing slot receiver. But you, you get to know these guys' skill sets better, and, and then you might think about, okay, well, we see the, the physical attributes that a Cade Stover has those might fit better at tight end and if we can develop him there consistently and and I do think they need to settle in on a position for him by the end of his spring but I think you know if he can make strides there this spring he could have a bright future at that spot and then you know on the flip side of that you look at a Cormonte Hamilton that was a guy that we always kind of looked at and wondered what kind of tight end he would be at Ohio State because he's 6'2", 265 not really your traditional build for an Ohio State tight end. You know, shorter. We thought maybe there'd be some fullback stuff for him. And, you know, maybe that's something they kind of thought they wanted to do when they recruited him. And maybe a year later, they have kind of shifted away from that uh, offensively. And now you look at it and say, okay, you know, it, if we're going to move Cade Stover to tight end, we need another guy on our defensive line. And I think he's an intriguing guy with the kind of build he has where he's still got to put on more weight to do this, but he could potentially be a guy that moves inside and plays defensive tackle as well. We saw him practicing at end on Monday, but you know if he can add some weight, you know maybe he can be a defensive tackle. And you look at that being a spot right now where – they've only got six scholarship players and they could use some more depth you know maybe he's a guy that can fit their current needs on the defensive line better than a Cade Stover can and that's why you make this switch now yeah it was um I I think it was uh sad for me to see Cormonte go to defensive line just because like you said he's just so different from everybody else in that tight end room he just stood out in, in so many ways and we never really got to see what Ohio State really had planned for him. And and I, I really wonder if, if Kevin Wilson would sort of let us in on what they what they really wanted out of him and, and why he ended up there. But um I I I think that I think it makes sense numbers wise to move him to defensive line and, and more so than anything though, I do I do think Cade Stover, now that you put him at tight end and and, and you think about his athleticism, you think about his frame, you know, it's it's understandable, even though I think a lot of people really want to see him on the on defense. Worth noting that Kevin Wilson will be meeting with the media on Wednesday, so we're recording this on Tuesday. By the time you listen to this, he may have given more insight into these position changes that we are unable to talk about right now. But uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what those two guys do in their new position. Anything else here that we haven't hit on? Anything else that you know you feel like you learned from Monday's practice? Anything that, even though we try not to read too much into just one day of practice, that that made you rethink what you thought you knew going in? Um, 
No, I think um, it's worth noting just running through real quick some positions that we didn't talk about, like a, a quarterback. Um, I think it's hard for us to evaluate uh, the quarterbacks as they're as they're throwing, just because of the way that practice is going. We've got to keep our eyes on on sort of everything that's happening. Um, I think it's difficult a little bit to figure out, you know, if what's this guy doing well, what's this guy not doing well. Um, but the way that they're rotating is the backups are just going to rotate. It's going to be Gunnar Hoke going to take some with the twos. It's going to be C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, all taking some with the twos. And and sometimes when Ohio State says that, like last year, uh, Justin Fields last year was taking the most with the ones. But this year, like on, on day one of practice, they were legitimately just rotating through. And, and I expect that to, to happen sort of throughout spring camp. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that is going to be the case for quarterbacks. I think certainly Justin Fields is going to take most of the first team reps, but Ryan Day did say he he wants to work those other guys into the first team as well. And there there will be days where they give Justin a lighter workload just because he already has a year of experience under his belt. He doesn't necessarily need to be taking all the first-team reps every single day during spring practice. But I think for those other three, you really want to give them the as equal of reps as possible so that when you get to the end of a spring, you can take a look at the whole body of work and then compare them to each other and say, okay, has somebody separated themselves as the number two quarterback? Has somebody separated themselves as the number three quarterback? Yeah, and I think um, if we're going to talk defense for a quick sec, we didn't talk about the defensive line, and, and really that's because it's hard to tell right now what, what they're doing. They're, they're essentially basically rotating via seniority. So the older guys are going to get the earlier reps, and they're just going to rotate from there. Um, and I think that's not surprising just because Larry Johnson, he likes to rotate guys in games. Why is he not going to do that in practice? Um I think that it'll it'll probably take a little bit of time to figure out how the defensive ends are going to separate themselves and and which defensive tackles whether someone's going to surprise and sort of appear into the rotation. I, I think that's hard to know right now. I'll say one guy who just physically stood out to me was I had never seen Jacoby Cowan before in person, and I thought. Since um, if you think back to him as a recruit, there was questions about whether he played defensive end or defensive tackle. That guy's got a defensive end body. I thought he was really built. Really, he really impressed me physically on on day one. And and I was wondering whether I would look at him and think, you know, maybe that guy needs to go play defensive tackle. But no, I th- I, th- I think he's got his body in a good place as a freshman. Georgia Buckeye twenty two asked us last week after we had already recorded, so it was too late to get to us. Who who? is our prediction for spring offensive and defensive MVP. And this question's almost easier to answer before we've seen one practice because now you you have this vision of what you saw in that one practice and it kind of, you know, clouds your judgment a little bit, but you know, I would say the guy that I would say coming out of that practice is probably the guy probably a guy I would have said beforehand anyway, if that's Garrett Wilson because as I said before, I think he's a guy who, you know, really is on that trajectory toward becoming a superstar this year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think we could really see, much like I think we did with Chris Olave last year, I think we could really see him go from a guy who flashed as a freshman to really taking that next step and looking like a guy who's going to be a consistent weapon in that offense. So, you know, he's a guy for me on that offensive side of the ball that really stands out. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because like my picks are all going to be like they, they they would all have to be like guys who I thought were really impressive when we watched them on day one. 
because that's really just sort of coloring my judgment right now. But I'm just going to stick with maybe what I would have said beforehand. And I'll just say like Zach Harrison. Um, and it's funny. We're like, that's what I was going to say too. <laughs> it's essentially, it's essentially, you know, it's funny. And, and maybe we can, we can, we can think about this some more, but like, I think about he and he and Garrett Wilson being the five, being, being five stars in, in the same class. And I just think like, like these guys are clearly on a crash course to go in like the first round of, of, um, the, the draft after three years in the same way that like, when you think back, like that was Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, like the, like these are we see guys come through Ohio State, and it's just pretty clear what trajectory they're on. And while it's hard to sort of look at the look at um, the defensive line right now and see who's separating themselves, you you look at Zach Garrison. That man, that, he is a man right now. He is incredibly physically built, um, and he's going to be on that three year plan. And I think you're looking for him to take a big leap. I think they're going to have him take a big leap, and for that reason, I I think he's going to be a guy who you hear about a lot this spring. GA Buckeye 22's personal picks. He had Jamison Williams for offensive MVP, Tyreek Johnson for defensive MVP. I think those are solid choices. I think this is a huge spring for both of those guys. I've said before, I, I think Jamison Williams is going to lock down a spot in that ro- rotation. And this spring, that hasn't changed. And you know, Tyreek Johnson, if he's the defensive MVP of a spring, that would be a very welcome development because yes. that's a guy who they could really use to step up in that secondary. Yeah, that was going to be my take. If it if it happens to be Tyreek Johnson, if he's the guy who really takes the step forward, that that would be gigantic for Ohio State. I, I just think like defensive backfield, running back, they just need a couple guys to break out. And the tough thing is 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 sometimes it's random. Sometimes you you just don't know when things are going to click for certain guys. And and I think that that is the case for for someone like Tyreek Johnson. I think maybe last year. Um, Seven Banks and Cam Brown had had things click, but they were just behind um, guys who were who were veterans and, and better players at the time. And I wonder um, what they're gonna that that that's why I wonder what what they're gonna be like when um, they they become full time stars if that becomes the case. But Tyreek Johnson is a guy who I don't think they're banking on right now becoming the full time starter at cornerback. And if if that happens, it's because he won the job. We could make this a four-hour podcast because we have so much to talk about this week. So uh, I do want to move on from spring practice at this point and kind of rapid-fire through a few other topics from the past week, Uh, starting with one that we were asked about last week. Uh, We were asked about where there were rule changes coming to college football. And and to be completely honest, I did not know at the time that the NCAA actually had – was actually meeting last week. It's 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 rules committee was actually meeting last week to discuss these changes. I was I was pretty focused on the NFL combine and spring practice starting up. I didn't even know that was coming. So I was thinking these were things we hear about in in months. And you actually ended up hearing about them on Friday with several proposed rule rule changes. So you know wanted to discuss those quickly. Uh, one change that Ryan Day had advocated for recently that's now being proposed is players who were disqualified for targeting penalties can remain on the sideline with their teammates instead of taking as ryan day called it the walk of shame back to the locker room not sure that's the change that everybody wants for targeting i think the change that a lot of people want to see for targeting is a two-level targeting where the first level of targeting does not warrant an ejection so that you don't have plays like Vashawn Wade played in the, in the Fiesta Bowl 
that are resulting in ejections when it appears to be incidental contact, but that's not happening yet in 2020. That's a debate probably for another time, but I do think the the change of allowing the players to stay on the sideline with their teammates is a good change because I don't, you know, I I think when you when you make the guy walk back to the locker room and be separated with his teammates, especially when it's an instance like a Sean Wade's play where I really don't think there was any intent whatsoever to injure the other player, I I think that's an unfair punishment that that you know really you know is is unfair to a kid like that, especially in such a big game. Yeah, and I also think, like, what's the, what's the benefit of, of having that happen? Um, I it's don't meant, know. It's I, meant to humiliate the player. It's meant to make an example of the player. Yeah, and, and if that's the reason, I, I, I don't really understand why it was there in the first place. Um, also, though, it, it is a, it's a pretty minor change to, to a rule that I think, um, I, I think needs a pretty significant overhaul. The change that I really like seeing her, I don't even know if it's necessarily a change. I think it's more of a guideline. But I know that I said this when we talked about some of the rule changes that might be needed a couple months ago. And that is that the NCAA Rules Committee has proposed a guideline to direct replay officials to complete reviews in two minutes for two minutes or less. And, and this is a change that I thought should happen for a long time because – my opinion is, and we saw a big example of this, of course, with the overturned fumble return touchdown in the Fiesta Bowl. My opinion is, if it takes more than two minutes to decide what happened, you don't have indisputable evidence to overturn the call. I think so many of these reviews in recent years, it's taking five minutes to look at every single angle of a play and then to still ultimately make a judgment call at the end of the day, which isn't what instant replay was initially intended to be. It's intended, you do want to get the call correct, but sometimes you just can't really tell one way or the other, and you need to just stick with the original call on the field because it's a judgment call either way. So I think this is a good change. I think, you know, both for pace of play... And I think it puts more impetus on the officials to make the correct call on the field. And then if, if, you, if, if it takes two minutes and you don't know, then you stick with it and the game moves on and that's that. Yeah, I take zero issue with that opinion. I don't – yeah, I, it makes a ton of sense. And nobody wants to sit there for six minutes to see if one person can get a call right that all of a sudden is getting replayed – for six minutes in front of millions, all of whom are going to have their own opinion, and then chaos is going to ensue. The other interesting proposal from last week, it it's to mandate that only two players per team can have the same number. And the interesting wrinkle to that is that players would now be allowed to wear the number zero, which we haven't seen in college football before. So we were asked by, and I'm going to make sure I pronounce this correctly because I was called out on it, Grand Lake Salina, not Salina, Salina, he asked, who will be the first number zero on the football team? What do you think, Colin? Well, the, the tough thing is, is, you know, if DeMario hadn't switched numbers, that's I would who I DeMario. was thinking, too. 
That's and what I was thinking. And now it, now it gets tough because you got to really think about it. Was there someone who really came to mind, whether who should be a number zero or who you think is who you think is going to request number zero? Yeah, I think you've got to have some swag to to wear number zero. Is my my feeling. I think. Um, you know, it's a it's a single digit number, but to be zero, I don't know. I so think you're thinking zero, of C.J. Saunders. That wouldn't have been my first guess. <laughs> <laughs> C.J. Saunders would not have been my first guess. You know, I, I think it'll be interesting. I think you know it's one of those numbers that you know, much like others, you know, you might have a recruit in the class of 2021 right now who who really likes that idea of, of wearing the number zero. It, it's not a a lot of times you look at it and these guys want to wear their 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 high school numbers. Uh, I don't know how many states allow guys to wear a number zero, so uh, I'm not sure if that really comes into play here. But yeah, I, I feel like I feel like if you're gonna wear number zero, and 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 I think zero, um, you know, there's some you can have some extra fun with that at Ohio State because you have a zero with the O and the block O and all that. I think there's a a, a lot of fun potential for that. At Ohio State, but I don't know if anybody jumps to mind for me. I, I do think Demario is the guy that kind of jumped to mind. Is like, hey, that's a guy who could, that's a guy who has that swag who could who could wear that number zero. Yeah, personally, I'll just say I would I would love to see defensive end number zero. So go ahead. That Jack would be Harrison. fun. That would be fun. I mean, an, an offensive lineman wearing number zero would look funny. I also don't hate that. <laughs> Hey, we we we've got Trey Larue wearing sixty nine now, so uh, we we got we got to get somebody wearing number zero uh, as soon as this rule gets approved. Thank Speaking you. Of, I was gonna say thank you, Grand Salina, Grand Lake, Grand Lake Salina. Salina. All right, here, wait, let's go one by one. I need the next time he asks a question, I need him to say who pronounces it better. Dan, go. Salina. Salina. Ooh, let us let us be know. Tough. Please let us know this who pronounced Salina better. Speaking of zeros, Ryan Day got a lot of zeros added to his bank account last week because he received a three-year contract extension from Ohio State. He's now under contract for seven years through 2026, and he'll receive more than $20 million over the next three years. Not going to get into all the nitty-gritty of the numbers here because it's a little confusing for 2020. He, he, he's paid at one rate for half a year, another rate for the, the second half of the year, and there's a, a million-dollar contribution to his retirement account. It's, it's a little bit confusing, but you can say this in, in summation. He, he will be the Big Ten's second-highest-paid coach in 2020, behind only Jim Harbaugh, which... I'm sure some people are going, shouldn't he be paid more than Jim Harbaugh? But Jim Harbaugh is one of the highest paid coaches in the country, so weren't going to quite get him to that level, but he he does move ahead of P.J. Fleck and Jeff Brom, and I think we knew this was coming after he won 13 games and, and took Ohio State to the college ball playoff in year one, but he was going to get paid this offseason. They were going to make him one of the highest paid coaches in the country, and and his salary, it's going to, by 2022, he's going to be up to $7.6 million, which was the same salary Urban Meyer made for his final season in 2018. So, you know, he, he's going to move up quickly uh, into being one of the highest paid coaches in college football. Uh, after 2022 is still to be determined because 
they're going to look at the market then. They're going to look at how he does over the next three years. And, and typically, the way these contracts work, you do well, you get a new contract in a few years anyway. So they've only determined the next few years. But uh, probably the biggest takeaway from this is uh, Ohio State is firmly committed to Ryan Day. And based on what he said Monday, that he expects to be for at Ohio State for a long time, hopefully the next 7 to 10 years, hopefully 20 years, that there's no end in sight right now to the Ryan Day Ohio State marriage. Nope, and it shows um, I think the money shows that they're willing to pay him um, top dollar. Um, I think that Ryan Day's comments, I, th- I, th- I think Ryan Day's comments show that he's willing to be in Ohio State. He wants to be in Ohio, be, be Ohio State's coach for, for a lengthy period of time and, and you know, we, we've been around football long enough. Everybody has to have to have heard these comments before and then a year later someone takes off and, and takes a job. But there is no reason right now for Ryan Day to leave, and I, I think that that's the like the two things you always have to think of are, are one is 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 Ryan Day getting getting compensated in a way that you think will make him happy, and two is well, I guess there's three things. Two is he is he is Ohio State in a place that it's beneficial? It's a good thing for him to still be here. It's he's still winning games. Fans are still behind him. The athletic department's behind him, and that's definitely the case right now. And then three, is there a job that comes open that that really piques his interest? And and honestly, like in college, he's not going to jump to another college job. No. When, when we say that, we're just thinking of the NFL, and I think a lot of people specifically are thinking, what happens if the New England Patriots job opened up since he's a New England guy? And I think that that concern worry however however you want to put it will sort of be out there for for as as long of a as a of a time as as ryan day is going to be the head coach um but i think that this shows there's there's like you said there's there is no end in sight to to this marriage and things are going well right now and 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 both parties are pleased yeah i think his agent's going to be getting calls from nfl teams every single year as long as he's continuing to win at ohio state because i think he's a guy that a lot of nfl teams would love to have as their next head coach but i think right now his mindset is i'm going to be at ohio state for a long time i don't think he's in any way shape or form has any intent of looking for a new job anytime soon as long as things keep going well at Ohio State this is where he wants to be you can never say never with that kind of stuff but I think all in all this is where he wants to be and certainly with the way things went last year uh, Ohio State's hoping the train just keeps rolling and they want Ryan Day around for a long long time Dan do you want to I can't I can't believe we waited so long but do we want to talk about um, where you were last week yeah, I was at the NFL Scouting Combine last week, so wanted to review that for a, f- a few minutes. Probably would have talked about it sooner if it wasn't uh, the first week of spring practice, but these things kind of run together. But last week was NFL Scouting Combine week. 11 Buckeyes were in Indianapolis. Looking back at the week, you know, who, who, the big question, of course, is always who helped themselves the most. I think the two guys who stand out to me were Devon Hamilton, who had 30 free reps on the bench press, the best mark among all defensive linemen. He also had the best vertical jump among defensive tackles. And just across the board, put up solid numbers. One of the biggest defensive linemen at the entire combine. And, you know, I know you're a guy that's been high on Devon Hamilton for a while, Colin. 
You know, I think he's a guy who just keeps slowly at every step just continuing to increase his draft stock, increase his draft stock, increase his draft stock. And now this is a guy who, you know, a year ago from now, NFL draft analysts weren't talking about him at all to now he's a guy who's solidly in those middle rounds of a draft at this point. Yeah, he has managed to continue continually fly under the radar basically his entire football career ever since he was in high school. I mean, he was a really lowly rated recruit. If I remember, he was either just inside or just outside the the one top one thousand recruits in the country. Um, and and I think a lot of people when they see that think, well, you know, that guy's probably not a, a super athlete. I mean, he's 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 near home. He's a guy who maybe Ohio State takes because they like what what he can be in the long term. But maybe his his ceilings not super high. And I think generally that was sort of the thought about him throughout his career is, you know, he's, he, he can be a contributor. He can be a starter. He can be good, but he might not be great. Um, and even as the 2019 season progressed, and I think you heard more and more people talking about him. I mean, when you watch him, he's just someone who stood out constantly, but he is a nose tackle and he's rotating with Tommy Toe guy. He's rotating with Robert Landers. He's playing on a defensive line with Chase Young it like it, it made sense that eyes were going elsewhere for a good amount of the time and even in his breakout season i think he stayed relatively under the radar um i don't think he's necessarily going to be under the radar anymore though i think people have a good idea of what he can be um i think that yeah i think it's exciting for him because you know he's just someone who has been He's he's not a he's not a talkative guy. He's always been a quiet guy. He's always been fine being ha, being looked over a little bit, and he's no longer going to be looked over at least at least the remainder of the draft process. I think that's I think that's the fun part for him. Yeah, I think the other guy I think had a really solid performance in Indy, and another guy I think's been overlooked kind of going all the way back to when he was in high school, and that's and that's Malik Harrison who had the best free cone drill time among linebackers. I believe it was the seventh best of the entire combine in 6.8 free seconds. And you know, that's a drill that really tests guys' uh, agility and ability uh, to move in different directions. Certainly a drill for a linebacker when you think, especially of a, a 6'3", 247-pound linebacker, the movement skills he was able to show, thought he looked really fluid in the drills, ran a 4'6", which is uh, a very solid time for a guy of his size. I think he's another guy who, you know, I think, you know, he could go as high as the second round. Uh, I don't think he goes any lower than the fourth round. And I think that combine performance, I think that probably locks him in in that day two range of a draft. I, if he goes lower than the third round, I would be surprised. I, I think he's going to be somewhere in that second, third round range, which he might have been already, but I, I think his performance at the combine solidified that. Yeah, I think those are two guys who are going to be mid-round guys for for Ohio State, and and one like if we're talking from Ohio State's perspective, like those are guys who they're not Chase Young, they're not Jeff Okuda. Those guys are hard to replace, really hard to replace, and I think that their their draft stock and where they end up getting picked is going to show that. They are, and they're also examples of guys who were lower ranked recruits and who development during their Ohio State careers was really key in, in getting them to this point. And, and Ohio State always loves to have those examples in their back pocket to use on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else um, at the combine, anyone who stood out good, bad, um, 
<laughs> or just, you know, they were there and, and they took part. And, and uh, I think that Chase Young probably qualifies under that. Yeah, well, if we're to talk Chase Young, he did not work out. He said in his press conference at the Combine that he wanted to work on continuing to improve as a football player. And in his words, he said he didn't want to waste time trying to be a Combine athlete. And I respect that. I respect that because here's the reality. Chase Young, he's probably going to be the number two overall pick in the NFL draft. I don't think he goes any later than the number three overall pick in the draft. And there was nothing he could do at the Combine that was going to change that. He he wasn't going to suddenly go number one because he had a great Combine. For him, it's all about the Bengals are probably going to draft Joe Burrow at number one. Does the number two pick end up being a quarterback or do the Redskins just stay there and take Chase Young? I think you know that's the whole question for him. It, it, it wasn't going to matter what he did on the field. He, he, he There wasn't going to be anything he could do to help himself. If anything, he really could only hurt himself. So he knows that. He's in a rare position of leverage there, but he's not even going to run a 40 at Pro Day. He is going to do position drills at Ohio State's Pro Day on March 25, but we're not going to see him run a 40 or vertical jump or any of that. And that's a little disappointing just because I would have liked to see his numbers and see how they stacked up with Nick Bosa and Miles Garrett and some of the other great defensive ends we've seen in recent years. But for his sake, as a draft prospect, just just didn't just didn't need to do that. Yeah, uh, if we're going to talk about pro days, uh, I think people are going to be interested in J.K. Dobbins since he could not complete every everything. Correct. Yes, J.K. Dobbins only did the bench press. He still recovering from the high ankle sprain that he suffered against Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl. So he was not 100% made a smart decision to not run injured and is planning to do everything at Pro Day on March 25. So absolutely, uh, I think he'll be a guy that people are going to be watching uh, at that event at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on March 25. A, a guy who, you know, I, I think he is a guy who had something to gain if he worked out of a combine. I think people definitely want to see how fast is his 40, how well does he move in some of the drills. I think he had an opportunity to help himself at the same time. I don't think it's fatal that he, he wasn't able to. I think he made the smart move because if you go up there and you run hurt, and you run slower than you would have if you were healthy, you you can give people a perception that you're slower than you actually are. So uh, makes total sense for him to wait until pro day, wait until he's hopefully at that point fully 100% and able to give his best. Anybody else who stood out that, that you want to make note of? Well, we got to talk about Jeff Okuda for a couple reasons. Fact. One being his performance on the field where – his 40 was fine. 448, that's fast. I when you're talking about a top five corner, a 448 isn't gonna turn any heads, but it's totally fine. Then in position drills, he, he banged his head, you know, making an effort to catch a ball, thought he might be done for the day, decides to do the jumps anyway, and posts a forty one inch vertical and an eleven foot free broad jump, which were both the best marks among all cornerbacks and show how spectacular an athlete. He is. So there's a guy, much like Chase Young, he didn't need to do anything at the Combine. He could have sat it all out, and he's still going to be the top cornerback drafted. He still probably would have been a top five 
overall pick. But he wanted to go out there. He wanted to compete, uh, put up some great numbers, uh, did nothing but solidify himself as a top five draft pick. But the moment everybody's talking about for week for Jeff Okuda was a, a clip that I actually want to play here of Jeff Okuda owning a reporter who asked him if he had a, quote, tendency to get kind of sloppy. Uh, sometimes you have a tendency to get kind of sloppy. How are you looking to kind of improve that? Sloppy in what way? Sloppy, like kind of using penalties and stuff like that. Yes. I have zero pass interferences, zero holdings. So cut the tape on again. I think you might see something else. That was not a good question. I don't think that reporter watched much Ohio State last year because and I'm not just saying this to you know be a homer or you know just to praise a, a guy that we cover or any of this but I mean Jeff Okuda anybody who's watched Ohio State regularly knows that Jeff Okuda is a phenomenal talent and the last word that I would use to describe Jeff Okuda as a player is sloppy and you, you could hear it when the reporter was questioned on uh, sloppy in what way didn't have a good answer so I'm not exactly sure you know where he came up with the idea that Jeff Okuda had a tendency to get kind of sloppy uh, a lot of people have asked me who the reporter was I don't I don't know who he was uh, nobody I asked knew who he was he he was not a member of the Ohio State beat he's not a national media member who you would recognize but uh, props to Jeff Okuda for uh, I think handling a weird question really well and and having evidence to back up his answer yeah i think uh i think jeff okuda is tremendous in those moments i think he's sneaky one of the better interviews that has come through ohio state recently and he's also really good at just being quick on his feet as you could see right there um that was just an atrocious question that would be like going up to Chase Young and asking him I don't know like have you have you been working on your your uh, quickness off the ball recently <laughs> yeah so well somebody asked Devon Hamilton about his weakness being in run defense and that was an equally horrible question because uh, I think both of us would probably agree that the strength of Devon Hamilton's game is his ability to stop for run yeah I think he's a complete defensive end or defensive tackle to be honest I think that I think he showed very few flaws um, but you know shout out shout out to these folks asking these questions didn't really have any uh, mind-blowing 40 times for Ohio State players this year you look at some of the other numbers that guys posted uh, Damon Arnett ran a 4.56 Austin Mack ran a 4.59 KJ Hill ran a 4.60 Benjamin Victor ran a 4.60 Jordan Fuller ran a 4.67 those are all times for wide receivers and defensive backs that are kind of meh. You know, they're, they're, uh, none of those times are going to help those guys draft stock. Uh, you know, certainly you, you don't want to. And one danger of the draft process is there's always so much stock put into the 40 yard dash. And you think of a guy like Damon Arnett and, you know, how dominant his tape was last year. You think of a guy like KJ Hill who's the all-time leader in receptions at Ohio State and has never been a guy who wins with speed, but with his route running and his his quickness and his hands. A guy like Jordan Fuller, who, who maybe has never been the most spectacular athlete on the back end, but as a guy who was so consistent at Ohio State for a few years, you, you don't want to bury guys just because 
they didn't run that well in a straight line for 40 yards. Doesn't help their draft stock, though. No, no, it does not. Um, uh, yeah, I was. I can't say I looked at any of those times and was wowed um, in the positive way. Well, talking about uh, positives, you are uh, time out, Dan. Your transitions have been on point today. Just saying. I've been working on it. A couple, or really, a month ago, there were not a lot of positives to talk about with the Ohio State basketball team. And now, all of a sudden, the Buckeyes have won eight of their past ten games and are coming off uh, what was certainly one of the most exciting and well-received wins of the season on Sunday, beating Michigan 77-63 to at home. A uh, win over Michigan is always good if you're Ohio State. And to do it in such convincing fashion, sweeping the Wolverines, uh, really an exclamation point on what's been a tremendous month for the Buckeyes where, I mean, you remember a few weeks ago when we were getting asked if, if Ohio State was going to end up in the NIT? And, and now, you know, we're talking about, you know, they're back in the hunt for a top four seed here. Yeah, I mean, even though back then we thought that those questions were, you know, bordering on lunacy, considering that they were 99% chance going to make the tournament per all metrics, um, at the same time, I don't think either of us expected that through this stretch they'd win eight out of their last ten games um, with those losses both coming on the road to, to Wisconsin and Iowa. It has been a remarkable turnaround that's, Honestly, the, their, what their play sort of feels like, what it looks like on the court, it's a little bit reminiscent of, of what happened earlier this season. And sure, they're not number two in the country, but they're also not playing games against Stetson, Morgan State, and Purdue-Fort Wayne. Well, I think at one point, I don't remember exactly what week it was, but we, we talked about you know what would be a reasonable expectation for the rest of the season. And I think at that point, we both agreed that if you know going 500 the rest of the way at that point was probably... Uh, realistic for this team, you know that's that's probably kind of what you expected, and you know now they've gotten themselves to where they are, multiple games above 500 in Big Ten play. Like you said, I th- I think they are looking a lot more like the team that they were at the start of the the year, and and the thing that's interesting about that is they don't have a couple of those key guys from early in the year. Kyle Young's out right now with a high ankle sprain. DJ Carton still away for the team after taking a leave of absence to address his mental health. And, and they've gone to this shortened rotation where they really only have seven guys playing. And, and even Justin Arns in, in a lot of games isn't playing that much. So you know, they're really relying heavily on that starting lineup of the Wesson brothers, CJ Walker, Luther Muhammad, Dwayne Washington, and then EJ Liddell, a, a guy who is starting to become Kyle Young himself and starting to bring some of those same traits uh, to the floor and becoming a really key guy for them off the bench. Yeah, but just because of, of sort of the path of this team, I, I think that like if we wanted to do an hour and a half podcast on what's happened, I think we could, but just I know we don't want to because I know a lot of people are listening to this for football. So to give like a general rundown of like, all right, like what in the world has changed? Like I think there are a few things that um, – that I think are, are just really key to this team. Like, number one, like, 
if Ohio State makes threes, Ohio State's a different team, and Ohio State can beat really good teams. And that might sound really simplistic, and it is. Um, anybody can see that. But at the same time, this this Ohio State team isn't getting inside. They're not. They're not going to get it to the to the rim um, really consistently in any way, which means that they're going to have to live and die from three point range. Now, the the good thing about that for them is that one. One of their best three-point shooters is Caleb Wesson. Um, and with that, they're able to spread it out in different ways, and they're able to get the defenses spread out in different ways that, that they're not normally uh, used, to, used to getting spread out in. Um, and you surround him with shooters like Andre Wesson and, and um, Dwayne Washington, who are both shooting better than 40% from three this year. Uh, Luther Muhammad is, has now found his range again. And there's there, there, there are just enough shooters around them that, you know, they, they, they actually can live and die from the three in, in a way that's actually feasible in the Big Ten. Um, the number two thing is defense has been improved, um, and generally that was an issue throughout the January stretch. And, and I think a lot of people, when they think back to that, they they're they're wondering how I, they were wondering how I say it was consistently going to score. But but defense was as much or, or more an issue um, than than offense was. And I think recently you've just seen an uptick in, in Ohio State's performance and their activity on that end of the court. I think Michigan game and, and the Purdue game stand out to me as, as two of the best games that they've played. Um, and then sort of the number three thing I would mention there is like things that have to happen. So Ohio State has to shoot the three well. They have to defend well. And number three, I just think Caleb Wesson has to play really well. Um, for 40 minutes and he has to win whatever individual matchup it is in the Big Ten because in the Big Ten there's just there's a lot of big men who are tough to guard um, and he's in a, he's in a lot of really important matchups um, and he's done that he's been pretty consistent I think maybe in the two games against Wisconsin and Iowa he had stretches and 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 he had extended stretches where he wasn't playing really well and I think that 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 hurt Ohio State significantly um, now you can go down there. I think there are probably like ten other reasons, but I think those are three things that that stand out to me as things that you know. These three things, if Ohio State wants to wants to get where they want to go, um, and that is they want to be competing for Big Ten titles, they want to make it to the second weekend and beyond the NCAA tournament. Those three things just have to go their way. So the big question is, how far? can this team go now that this team seems to have gotten its legs under him and really has turned the corner at this point what do you feel like this team is capable of the rest of a month of march i mean this team can do things this team can this team can if you want to say can this team compete for a big 10 title i think it can i think the i think that they've proven that i think if you want to say can this team make this sweet 16 and beyond i think you can say that the, the 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 two things that I would say are number one, road wins have just been an issue for Ohio State, and even during this stretch, the road wins are against Northwestern, Nebraska, and Michigan. And if you think back to the Wisconsin Iowa games, there were about there were there were smaller stretches in both of those games that they just got killed, and they and and both teams uh, gained a ton of momentum from them, um, and they just went. Uh, and, and, they, and they sort of rolled over Ohio State in those five-minute stretches. Um, if you think about 
whether that's happened in home games, it just really it really hasn't. And I think it's really hard for the coaches um, this season to figure out why that is. Um, and sure, there's part of you that thinks, you know, this is youth. Um, the Ohio State's one of the younger teams. They're relying on a bunch of underclassmen to perform. But, you know, it what whatever the underlying cause is, Ohio State just has struggled away from home. And, and obviously that's where the entire Big Ten tournament and, and NCAA tournaments are going to take place. So it's so it's really hard for me to say you know this is um, this is going to be a be an area where I feel confident in Ohio State because I because I really I don't yet because I just haven't seen it and number two I just think that there are some inconsistencies that you know are going to be the that, that are going to pop up again and again with with Ohio State and, and one that's three point shooting that if, if you live and die by the three at sometimes maybe you die by the three just because things aren't falling um, and that might be the case and and. And who knows? Like that's why I that's why I've said um, I think you can go back and, and different podcasts and and I've said this team has to defend well in the postseason and they've defended better and I think you saw against Michigan when they defend well and when Caleb Wesson maybe things aren't necessarily going his way for the like they like they weren't for the first half against Michigan Ohio's taken weather the storm they can wait it out and then Caleb Wesson got going and they won by fourteen points. And I think that that's the, that's why I come back to Caleb Wesson three pointers and defense. It's because sometimes things are simple, but sometimes you know sometimes these sometimes simple is 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 what makes sense. And in an Ohio State basketball case, uh, that that's sort of that's sort of why I go back to those areas again and again. Big Ten tournament just a week from now. NCAA tournament just a couple weeks away. So we're certainly rest of a month of March going to be. Uh, Incorporating some basketball talk into Real Pod Wednesdays, uh, at least as long as the Buckeyes keep going. Final week of a regular season coming up, playing Illinois Senior Night at the Schottenstein Center on Thursday night, and then Sunday wrapping up the regular season on the road, big road game for the Buckeyes at Michigan State. While we're on basketball, let's let's take the first of our remaining questions, and I'm just going to give this one to you because you know the basketball guys a lot better than I do. This is from Little Trouty. Who would you rather take your daughter out on her first date? C.J. Walker, Dwayne Washington, or Lufer Muhammad? Yeah, you know that's a, that's one heck of a question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous question. That is a dangerous question, which is why I'm going to keep my answer short and simple, and I'll just say C.J. Walker because. C.J. Walker sat out last year, was a team captain. Chris Holtman has said again and again, he said it the other day, that he thinks that he's going to be a heck of a coach down the line. And, you know, you you want someone uh, with those traits uh, dating your daughter, who I do not have right now. (laughs) So it's hard for me to put myself in this position. But, uh, sure, if you're going to make me answer, and I will answer, I'll say C.J. Walker couple other football questions we haven't gotten to yet. Our guy Gin and Juice asked us last week. We didn't get to it then. Getting to it now. Who will be the first new addition to lose their black stripe? And that's a tough question because as we've talked about on the show, there are a lot of really talented uh, early enrollee freshmen. And I, I think we are going to see several lose their black stripe this spring just because of how talented this group is and you know how many guys they have there. There's like four or five different guys I can go with, but I got to go back to Jackson Smith and Jigba. As good as he looked on Monday, uh, Ryan Day talked about you know how you know because of the extra reps he's been able to get with spring football in Texas. Just you know he's a guy that comes in 
who I think has a leg up on some of the other guys. And, and I just think if if he can keep, keep he can keep if he can keep having practices like he had on Monday, he's going to lose his black stripe by the end of the spring. Yeah, I mean it's hard for me to dispute that. I, I if there's one thing I'd agree with there too, it's that. There's gonna who who knows? Ohio State might set the record this spring of guys who uh, get their black stripe off. Um, I'll go with Paris Johnson because you know what? If you're gonna take your freshman that you've been in on, I'm gonna take mine. I think Paris Johnson's a good choice too. Again, he's already competing for a starting job in his first week of practices as a Buckeye. So I think uh, the odds on him losing his black stripe this spring are very good as well. Buckzilla1 asked, Apple or Android? Is this for running back situation becoming season? I don't really know exactly what that means. I can tell you that from my perspective, the first question, there's one clear answer that's correct, and that's that Apple is better than Android in every way, and I'm a big Apple products guy. And if you were going to tell me that there's one clear answer that's correct in the running back room right now, that I do not know because there are so many unknowns in that room. There is, there is no clear winner in that room right now. So by that logic, I'm going to say no. I'm just thankful my brother doesn't listen to this podcast because he'd really take it up with you that when you say Apple's better than Android. I actually was an Android guy at one time. I Early on, I had an you know, Android phone, but then once I started with Apple products, you can't go back when you can't when you start the iPhone and I've got the MacBook, I've got the Apple Watch. You want, once you get once you get ingrained in the Apple products, you can't go back. Yeah, I'm not even gonna lie about that. I I had I had no interest in buying an Apple laptop, and then I bought a MacBook, and now I couldn't even imagine myself not having this. Life changing. It is. Get in juice. I we better get ahead. paid for that. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, we are we are not paid by Apple. We should we should put that out there. We are. I'd be willing not, to be paid by Apple. We are not a paid Apple spokesperson. And if and if, and if Google wants to come back and say we'll give you four dollars if you remove that from the podcast and say that Android is better, I'll accept the offer. <laughs> so, sounds sounds good to me. If anybody everybody wants to sponsor us, uh, please please let us know, and we'll be we'll be happy to uh, take your money. Gidden Juice also asked us, with spring training opening for Major League Baseball, what would your walk-up music be? Colin? How can you th- I, I didn't even know this was coming. You, okay, you, I'll, I I'll, I'll, I'll go first then. I'll, I'll, I'll go first then. Because I've thought about this quite a few times. There's a Gosh. lot of different directions that I could go. But I just got to think of like what's a pump-up song that like I would listen to that you know just makes me want to go up there and just crush a ball over the fence. So I'm going to go with Lose Yourself by Eminem. You're really getting in the zone right there. Huh. Trash. Gosh, I really... I, I don't know. Were there others that you were thinking of? Again, I, I need you to just maybe spark my memory a little bit here. Well, you know, I'm a big Led Zeppelin guy, so I was trying to think, like, if there's, you know, a song from Led Zeppelin, like, you know, Heartbreaker or, or Rock and Roll or one of those songs that that would work, but I don't know. I, I think I, I think rap's a good choice. You know, something something with a uh, something that really gets you know has a good beat that really gets you pumped up. Um, 
Lose Yourself's always been one for me. Even, you know, I remember when I was in high school playing sports. Like, that's one of those ones that would be in my uh, pregame playlist. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go regulate Warren G. That's a solid choice. That's a solid choice. I, I, but I can a, also a, see myself changing that, like, every single week. Yeah. I mean, there's. there's I, Anyone who knows my music's taste knows that I like a little bit of everything. So uh, there's a lot of valid choices. That was just the first one that sparked my mind. I, I am a 90s rap guy, so I definitely respect the choice of Regulate by Warren G. Yeah, I'm also not a... Uh, I'm, I'm not a... Um, what was it? What did you say? Led Zeppelin? Yes. Yeah, I can't say that's in my wheelhouse. Which yeah, you're I know more, you're more that's going to offend a lot of people. You're more of a new music guy. Yeah, I thought I thought about some of that, but then I realized I'm. Um, I don't think that some of that would really be appreciated by you or or some of the listeners. So yeah, I, um, I mean, I <laughs> it might it might be a recruit, appreciated by Zach, a recruiting writer. Um, but uh, no, I, I I know my audience, Dan, and I know that that wasn't going to work with you. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to ask some of the other eleven uh, W staffers for what their answers would be. I'd be I'd be curious to see. Anyways, we kept you guys long enough on this week's show. Uh, lots to talk about this week. Uh, certainly, the Master Chief situation, first day of spring practice. Uh, six weeks of spring practice to come, so uh, that's certainly going to be a big topic for us uh, on the next several weeks of RealPod Wednesdays. As you know, we know if you're listening to us, you want to know what's going on at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, what the team's doing in practice. So we'll try to keep you informed there, uh, as well as the basketball team and, and everything else that comes up surrounding Ohio State sports. So thank you guys once again for listening into this week's show, and we'll talk to you again next week.